Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty, and we welcome you here. We welcome people of all religious backgrounds, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, gender identities, abilities, and other circumstances. We come from a long tradition that sees a spark of the divine in each person. And it's in that spirit that I invite you to turn to the people around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It's our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting our chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. I invite you now to read our words for lighting the chalice, which are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Whoever you are, come with your hurts, your imperfections, your places that feel raw and exposed. Come, come, whoever you are. Come with your strengths that the world shudders to hold. Come with your wild imaginings of a better world. Come with your hopes that it seems no one wants to hear. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, we will make a place for you. We will build a home together. Ours is no caravan of despair. We walk together. Come, yet again, come. Unitarian Universalism draws on all the world's wisdom and faith traditions. Some of us are humanists, some are atheists. We have people that have Christian beliefs, Buddhist beliefs, earth-centered traditions, and many, many more. So sometimes we're asked, well, then what holds you all together? Well, we have a lot of things, I think, that hold us together, and one of them that we have here in this church is our mission. We discern that mission together, and we say it with each other every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. For each child that's born... A morning star rises and sings to the universe who we are. Listen carefully. Can you still hear the song? The one sung for you when you were born. The song sung by a cosmos in motion rejoicing at your life. You, the result. You, the outcome. You, the celebration. Listen carefully. Can you hear it still? A song of possibility a reminder that we still have time to be who and what we need to be. Listen carefully. The vast expanse echoes a recognition that it's not always easy. Possibilities can be hard to pursue. Roads not taken, wrong turns, destinations that disappoint. Through this, the song persists. The universe sings no less because time and space wear us thin. The music calls us to recognize our limitations, to recognize that the song is best sung with others. Here in community, bringing alive that most primordial and original impulse, the desire to sing to the universe who we are, to celebrate and share our lives with others. Now is the time in our service where we breathe together. And breathing together, we enter a deeper place 
Some of us pray, some meditate. Some of us simply enter into a time of deeper thought, following our breath down deep inside to where that spark of the divine resides and we may know greater wisdom. And breathing together, we enter a moment of sacred silence together, remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are part of the sacred silence in this congregation. I got the music in me. I got the music in me. I got the music in me. Okay, I just had to get that out of my system. But music is a core ministry of this church, and for many of it, it's a vital component of our own individual spirituality. So I think we're mighty blessed to have the amazing talent of our music director, Brent Baldwin. And the many wonderful musicians that he gathers here. One of Brent's many talents that stands out for me is his incredible ability to produce such high-quality music across such a wide variety of styles and genres. And to me, that is such a wonderful aspect of our music here at this church. We get to experience and learn about styles of music that may be challenging for us, but deeply moving for other folks in the church, and vice versa. And because of that, we get to discover harmonies between these different styles that we might not have imagined otherwise. Okay, Brent, I'll quit embarrassing you with high praise now. Anyway, this all got me to exploring why it is that music can stir our emotions and move our spirits so deeply. What makes it such a central part of all known human cultures? Well, as I began my exploration, I quickly started to realize that the definition of ritual I talked about in a sermon last month exactly describes what is going on with music. Like other forms of ritual, music is structured and patterned. It's rhythmic and repetitive. Perhaps even more so than other forms of ritual, music can synchronize our feelings, thoughts, and body movements to create a powerful, unifying experience. And finally, when we experience and create music together, we synchronize with each other, and that can create a very strong sense of bonding. So music is a form of ritual, and perhaps even more so than other forms of ritual, we are discovering the powerful ways music can actually benefit us. Children, for instance, who learn to play a musical instrument at an early age or take singing lessons, because after all, the voice is an instrument, they develop greater motor and cognitive skills. And adults who learn to sing or play an instrument also reap benefits. Our brains tend to remain much more adaptable if we participate in music, and there's early evidence that we may even be less likely to develop dementia. Music therapy has psychological benefits, including improvements in depression and anxiety disorders. Music has been used to steady the heart rate of premature infants and adult cardiac patients. Music can have powerful healing effects for people who have experienced trauma. 
One of the most amazing ways that music is being used to help people is with things like Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia to help stroke victims. I want to show you part of a video that I think demonstrates this so movingly. Naomi Seal works with elderly dementia patients to help them reconnect and develop a feeling of safety. In this video, she sings hymns to a woman named Gladys Wilson who has Alzheimer's and has been nonverbal since also suffering a stroke. So I use music because when speech is gone, music, especially with Gladys Wilson, it was religious music because there's emotion tied to it and safety tied to it. So I used her old church song. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. What I did was, when she moved, I moved with her. And when I was singing, because she didn't sing with me, so I matched the intensity of my voice to the intensity of her movement. And pretty soon, for a split second, we became one person. Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So at one point, when she got very quiet and very peaceful, and my voice became very quiet as hers and very peaceful, and my breathing slowed to her breathing, she pulled me to her. And I moved with her. And for her at that moment, I believe I was a symbol of, of her mom. Can you open your eyes now? Do you see me? Feel safe and warm? Yes? Can you see me? He's got the whole world in his hands 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 he's got the mothers and the fathers he's got the mothers Later in that same video, Gladys actually speaks and says that she feels safe and well taken care of. Now, you may have noticed that Naomi moving with and holding Gladys, matching her rhythm and tempo to Gladys's movements, was an important point, part of Naomi being able to break through with Gladys. This demonstrates yet another important aspect of music. While its effects on us can happen from simply listening to it, many of music's benefits increase even more if we participate in some way, and some only if we participate, if we sing, dance, sway, play an instrument, drum on the back of a pew, for instance. This seems to be related to the fact that the parts of our brains that process musical rhythm and tempo are strongly connected to the parts of our brains that control motor skills. 
In the PBS documentary, The Music Instinct, neuroscientist Stan Levington, who has performed brain imaging scans as people listen to and or make music, says that we process pitch, tempo, rhythm, and so on, the various elements of music, in different parts of our brain. So he says that looking at brain scans of people listening to music is like seeing a symphony going on in the brain because so many areas, so many neural pathways are involved. And when we participate in music in some way, even more of the brain lights up on those scans. And even better, when we do so with each other, we activate the part of the brain associated with social behavior. Now, this may help explain why there are many cultures who have no concept of simply listening to music all alone, all by ourselves. It's necessary to see the movements and gestures of the musicians, to feel the vibrations, and to physically move with them. Some cultures do not even have separate words for music and dance. This connection between music and our motor skills has profound implications for helping people with certain disabilities. Here's another video that powerfully demonstrates this. It's from the trailer for a documentary about a man with cerebral palsy who learns to dance and in doing so transforms the rest of his life. I first saw Greg in a performance of Romeo and Juliet. I was completely blown away by the power of his very particular physicality. There's always just some sort of level of like low-grade tension. You made your body work for you. It was energetic and cool, special in the way that no one walks like that. I said there's different intelligences in the body. I didn't have anything else to do, so I was like, well, okay, I'll show up. It was like leaning onto a sandcastle and having it absolutely crumble away. No, no, balance issues. Go down another inch on the hump. Oh. Okay, you're okay. She said, just do this thing called shaking for 15 or 20 minutes. And, and after a couple of minutes of doing this, I was feeling things that I had never felt before. And something happened. Once I stood up and took my first steps, I knew something had changed. My feet are on the floor. To be able to feel the earth with my whole foot, that's so new to me. I know what the tension in the body feels like. It's a brutality. Isn't this amazing? This guy can just walk. All the years of physical therapy, doctors, specialists are left behind me. My body is capable of something miraculous and transcendent. And then it stopped being amazing. Like shock waves of physical terror coursing through my body. The fawn was a mythological character. He was a boundary breaker. My body is in this state of constant fear. The disability was a thing. These movements are not mine. I feel like I've lost something. It's too confusing. The farm was a worship for the idea that people don't need to be bound by convention. Oh, to the top. Yeah. I don't want to go through this. But if anybody had the option, they'd take it. So music and its associated 
movement can have these amazing influences on us as individuals. Even folks who are unable to move some areas of their body still seem to benefit from participating in and moving to music in whatever ways that they can. But the benefits we derive also go beyond us as individuals. That's right. Music also can strengthen our relationships and group social bonding. When we participate in music together, several things happen. One, we engage with one another in coordinated, cooperative, synchronistic behavior that evokes strong emotion and can be greatly uh, influential on increasing group cohesion. Two, our bodies create oxytocin. This is a neuropeptide that results in increased affection and bonding between us. Three, music activates the part of the brain that helps us comprehend and understand what other people are thinking and feeling, so it increases empathy among us. And finally, music increases cultural cohesion. More so than any other form of ritual, music communicates that we belong, and it passes down cultural memory through the generations. There's a reason that people say things like, these are the songs of my people. I want to show you one more video that I think wonderfully demonstrates how music binds us together. Simon McDermott's dad, Ted, has Alzheimer's and is often nonverbal. He usually can't even remember his own family members. But Simon singing an old familiar song with him brings Ted's memory back. And for those moments, they reconnect and Simon gets his dad back. Tell me when will you be mine? Tell me quando, quando, quando we can share a love divine. Oh, don't let me wait again. When will you say yes to me? Tell me quando, quando, quando You mean happiness for me Oh, my darling, tell me when Every moment's a day Finish it Every day seems a lifetime Let me show you the way just makes me feel happy. <laughs> so. so why is music this powerful to us? What makes it so intrinsic to all known human cultures? Well, that is the subject of much research and great debate in several fields of study, and the answer is we just don't fully know.
There's a lot of research going on about what the origins of music might be and how it is related to language and whether or not it is innate, meaning if we're born with certain musical capacities, it would indicate that music played some evolutionary role in our development and survival as a species. So how far back does music go? Well, we don't know that either. The earliest known musical instruments are flute that date, flutes that date from about 42,000 years ago. But it's possible our making music goes back much further than that, and there's just no archaeological record of it remaining to be found. So our musical origins remain shrouded in mystery. Likewise, whether our propensity for music conveyed some evolutionary advantage or is just a byproduct of other capabilities we developed is also the subject of debate. Now, I ran across a couple of theories as to what potential evolutionary roles it might have played. One is that, like a peacock strutting its feathers, early males would have used musical abilities to make them more attractive to early females. I'm personally not buying that one, as tone deafness would have been evolutionarily selected out by now, which it hasn't been, witness the campaign staff and surrogates for a certain presidential candidate. <laughs> the other theory is that the group social bonding music the group social bonding music creates that I talked about earlier might have allowed for the formation of larger and larger groups of people, and such larger societies could well have had survival advantages. The evidence, though, for this innateness of our musicality is mixed. On the one hand, musical forms vary greatly across cultures, and many of our musical preferences do seem to be learned. But there is some evidence that we may be born with at least some of our musical proclivities and capacities. Newborn infants, for instance, can detect a downbeat, relative pitch changes, tempo changes, musical intervals that are harmonious, and other such musical characteristics, making it possible that we're born with these capabilities, although people debate this too because infants could have heard music while they were still in the womb. Likewise, there are certain commonalities in music that seem to exist across all cultures, which might also indicate that they're innate. Lullabies are remarkably similar in all cultures, and all cultures use the octave interval, though they divide it very differently. One study that really interested me is one they did with villagers in a remote area of Cameroon who had never before experienced Western music and whose own music was very, very different than ours. They listened to three different pieces of Western European music, one that we would associate with feeling sad, one with feeling happy, and one with feeling afraid. When asked to identify the emotion evoked by each musical piece, the villagers' responses were exactly the same as we Western Europeans, indicating there's something innate about our emotional response to certain characteristics of music. So we just don't yet have all the answers for why music seems so central to our very nature as humans. So let me share how I like to think about music. Scientists and mathematicians will tell you that math can describe and predict all known phenomenon in our universe. And it's not that we came up with an abstraction and applied it to our universe. It's that math seems intrinsic to all that exists, and we are just discovering the math as we learn more and more. Math, in a way, is the language of our universe. Well, music, at its most basic level, can be described with math. 
Its pitches, chords, intervals, beats, rhythms, notes, and harmonies are all simply math at their core. So I like to think of music as the universe finding its voice. And we, we are its instruments. So sing even if you think you might not be able to hit all the right notes. Learn to play an instrument, even if it's just for fun, and even if you think you're not all that good at it. Dance the dance the best you can. Make music with those you love and who you might someday. Because you got the music in you. And you always will. Amen. Please join me in reciting our words by which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.